Hey there folks, Sherwin and Nigel here. This week, while we're on break, we'd like to recommend to you a show we think you would like. This week we're recommending Hotel Daydream. Hotel Daydream, from Stephen Kausler, is a fictional anthology podcast that follows the weekly happenings of a magical hotel for the real, the imagined, and everyone in between. If you're a fan of mythology, history, or esoteric academia and enjoy wordplay, puns, and the absurd, a stay at the hotel might just be the thing for you. The show is written and voiced by Stephen Kausler and could be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Catering to the needs of mythical beings, monstrous clients, and mathematical extractions is tough work. Tune in every other Sunday for hospitality updates from the hotel for the real, the imagined, and everything in between. What you're about to hear is the very first episode, The Pilot. You can follow them on Twitter at Hotel Day Radio. You can contact them at hotel.daydream at outlook.com or you can support them on the show's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hotel daydream. And with that, on with the episode. The Weekly Report To Mademoiselle Rouge, Viscountess and owner of Hotel Daydream and Reverie Estates. Guest Complaints Some of the tourists staying with us are complaining about the statues out in the statue garden. I have gotten scores of questions about why the statues won't sit still long enough for guests to pose for a picture with them. The complaints center around many different statues, of course, but the ones about Chan Master Dao Ji are particularly common. I've brought him up before, but there doesn't seem to be stopping his many snack breaks. But at least he isn't stealing from Gerard's wine cellar anymore, so there is that to be thankful for. What I don't understand is our guest's confusion. The statue garden sign makes it very clear these statues are perfect likenesses. They move, they talk, they eat, and laugh. The guests act as if statues are supposed to stay perfectly still is if a lifelike recreation wasn't meant to walk and talk or be, well, lifelike. Our guests with Renfield Syndrome are complaining about the quality of their goat's blood, or rather the shortage thereof. I had to explain to them that the transfusions we normally take from our resident goat stock unexpectedly dwindled three days ago when Takam, the Azerbaijani king of the goats, collected them. Yes, I left out the fact he was collecting them as interest on an outstanding livestock loan we got from him several decades back. Were you planning to tell me that was where we got the goats all those years ago? I realize catering to blood-sucking clientele is somewhat controversial in this business, but you should have let me know. I don't think Takam knows that's why we still have the goats, but I think it's best to come clean about the situation. It would be an unpleasant surprise if the Lord of Capras found out by accident we were using his goats to feed creatures of the dead. I imagine you're going to skip this section, but we really must talk about the occupants in room 1,027. The sheer number of noise complaints about them that cross my desk every day is simply staggering. Several of them are from our non-linear guests. 
Do you know how incredibly difficult and time-consuming it is to read complaints written outside of the normal flow of time? You know I don't like to complain at length, but we really must do something about them. I understand you have a fondness for those in room 1,027, and that they have a special lease agreement with the hotel. But if you could make time to talk to some of their heads, or even just one, I would be particularly grateful, not just as your manager, but as your friend. Your help would mean a lot, as they continue to ignore the disturbance notices we hang on their door. Kitchen Report All of the eggs in Kitchen A have hatched. Some are chickens, but others, well, seem to be anything else that lays eggs. Birds, snakes, crocodiles, spiny anteaters, platypi, several kinds of insects, and even one saltwater coral. I didn't even know their reproductive cycle used eggs. I got on the telegraph with our supplier about this to ask if there had been a mix-up or a recall we hadn't heard about. It seems on our last order. We didn't specify what kinds of eggs we wanted. Our supplier had tried to get a hold of us to clarify the order, but I must have missed their call. Well, ever since my previous secretary quit to join the Church of Quiet and Shush full-time, I've been struggling to keep up with the day-to-day -day demands of the hotel. I did recently get another round of applications, and they look more promising and substantially less wet unlike the last slush pile from the snowmen who wanted the job. Gerard has informed me of a problem concerning our most recent shipment of Mediterranean flies. Apparently, they are entirely out of season. He went on about wing lengths and thorax firmnesses, but they looked about the same as any other flies to me. If it weren't for the Becky frog staying with us, I wouldn't push the point too much. But her word counts for a lot in the amphibian circles. I would hate to lose our toad clientele over this, but her stipulation to never see a drop of water during her stay at the hotel is proving difficult to maintain. How her husband manages, I have no idea. Gerard may not like it, but I will see if we can substitute the flies for locusts instead. I know they are considered gauche for many salamanders and axolotl, but we still have crates of them left over from the last of this summer's plague season. Waste not. Gerard has also informed me that many of the forks are following the knives example and are thinking of forming a union. I know you don't like to admit it, but being more equitable to our cutlery was the right move. The amendments to their hours they asked for, plus the addition of sharpness insurance to their contracts, have done wonders for knife morale. Slicing times are down by 34%, and it's been 189 days since the last nick or cut. The forks deserve the same benefits. They already have 700 signatures on their petition, although it is dreadfully hard to tell them apart. Fork calligraphy is so difficult to read. I'm never sure if a puncture mark is a name, a space break, or a comma. While they've certainly dotted their I's, we'll just have to make sure their contract doesn't contain any T's. Groundskeeping Report 
I hate to worry you with so much bad news at one time, but that sea turtle topiary has gone missing again. Latrice, I think her name is? I already have the groundskeepers out looking for her, but the local nymphs are being uncooperative. I'd wager they're hiding her somewhere. Annoying, but we can't connect them to anything, and with our decorative shrubs only working part-time, I can't push the issue very hard. That said, I'll have the groundskeepers keep looking into it. Renovation Report Finally, something good. The renovations on floor six and two-thirds may finally be able to round up. It will be a relief to finally have those rooms back in working order. Ever since that mathematics convention down there, the whole place has been ruined. I know several of our regular dwarf clientele found shortened accommodations cozy, and I'll see what we can do to continue that experience moving forward. But I miss seeing Miss Gaff in her customary room. She's stayed with us for so long, and she is so very old. Pushing 14 centuries this next Thursday, if you can believe it. Oh, she sent your invitation to the party to my office by accident. I'll forward it to you before next week. And don't even try to wriggle out of this one. You keep shirking social functions and you'll turn into a moss-covered hill. Also, I talked her into having the party outside, so you can thank me later. Anyway, she will be delighted to be back in her old rooms once renovations are done. The contractor said he and his other hands, all 2300 of them, should have it finished by the end of the week. We've had a problem with Mr. Crook in room 215C. I instructed the bellboys explicitly not to deliver him any fruit, but it seems he took a couple of kiwis from another guest's room service cart, mistaking them for avocados. The resulting spontaneous combustion has destroyed the room's decor. Needless to say, the wallpaper, carpet, busts, and hydra-head taxidermy in 215C will need to be redone. I've already called Allison to get the cleaning witches started, and I have politely but firmly asked Mr. Crook to leave the hotel pending criminal charges of destruction of property, and more importantly, produce. Legal. The Escher stairs between floors 9 and 6 have stopped working. It seems up and down are now no longer causally related, and have split ontologically. One of our guests, a dryad named Ferdinand, got caught on the stairs when the two directions broke apart. The shearing force from the tear split her in two. One is now the signifier version of a dryad, the other the signified. It is a mess. I would call a logician to come take a look at her, but she, and subsequently us, might be heavily fined for having an unlicensed paradox on the premises. I'm not sure if Ferdinand counts as a paradox, but she does now exist in two places simultaneously, which seems problematic for a dryad. I tried to get an architect over to the hotel to hopefully repair the stairwell and reunite our dryad guest. Unfortunately, when I contacted the construction office, they misunderstood my request and sent over a post-structuralist instead, named Michael. 
who was not helpful at all. Rather than repair the stairwell, he said the stairwell was a cultural construct, and all that was actually in front of me was stonework, drywall, and wallpaper in various arrangements. What about her? I asked as both Ferdinands folded their arms, clearly impatient to have their binary condition resolved. Well, her now seems to be a them, Michael said. The difference between them is permanent, I'm afraid. It all has to do with power and force relations, a matter of difference, you see. I said that all sounded very interesting, before promptly forcing him out the door. I'm not sure what to do with Ferdinand and her double. Oh, whose name is Jacques now? I forgot to mention that. When it became clear she and Ferdinand were no longer going to share the same body, a name became necessary to reduce confusion. Ferdinand and Jacques are sharing a room for the moment. I'll let you know of any further developments. Policy Changes As you know, we recently hired on several of the Cleaning Witch's familiars to handle our rodent problem. If you remember, we've had the most terrible infestation of mice. They keep getting into our rooms despite our best efforts. They are masters of disguise, masquerading as all manner of other creatures. Six, seven, eleven mice in a trench coat is far harder to spot than you'd think. They've been checking out rooms under false aliases. Cats as natural sleuths was the ideal choice. The feline detectives should be able to suss out the imposters before the end of the month. By the way, the ghost of Felinion left you a voicemail, hence the face carved into your office phone. I know she means well, but I am having a hard time imagining the rest of our guests and staff getting on well if we opened our doors to the dearly departed. That said, considering I was just defending our vampiric clients not a minute ago, and the ghost of Felinion also partakes in hematophagy, I may very well be wrong. I welcome your thoughts on this matter. Lastly, for policy notes, I had a meeting with Celestial O'Connor up in the Heavenly Bodies this morning. She assures me Ares will be on time for the 23rd, though they're having a hard time reaching Aquarius. Apparently she's out on vacation right now? Well, I'll see if we can get Cancer to cover for her, but that will mean the hotel may experience some mood swings in the latter part of the day. Thankfully, Droit's Comet should be visible that night, so things won't get too mercurial. Also, Celestial re-emphasized the need to put restrictions on telescopes for our guests, and I agree with her. While technically our privacy agreement with the heavens doesn't forbid guests from spying on the stars, it does seem in poor taste to uphold those terms only in letter and not in spirit. Perhaps we can turn this to our advantage for both parties and create select events where guests can gaze at the stars with the aid of amplification as well as the consent of those they're watching. Perhaps that's overly restrictive, but please consider it. I would hate for something so small as a couple of lenses to spoil our business relationship with them.
safety report. There have been more reports about the salesman lurking about the premises. No, he hasn't gotten inside, though he did get his hands on one of the bellboys two days ago. The poor chap started thinking about everything in terms of cost. How much was his uniform worth? What about his job? Would it cost extra to be more polite to him? Etc, etc. I've already taken the liberty of reaching out to Achilles Security and Forbidden Protections LLC to see if they can send a consultant over to assess the situation. It's a shame they don't do surveillance work. They're awfully good. But we will work with what we have. They, however, sounded nervous over the telegraph. And I confess, I'm not a little worried myself. We still aren't sure what he is, though the people down in Creature Resources think he might be part executive, which has disturbing implications if true. I've given the bellboy a couple weeks leave to recover from his severe case of consumerism. He's been warned to stay away from all price tags, all things trickle-down economics, and anything with the word sale or discount in it. Fairly easy here, but you never know what marketing tactics lay lurking out in the world. All said, however, he should make a complete and quick recovery. We had a bit of a harrowing situation this afternoon. I know we spoke briefly about it over gramophone, but I am putting all the details here for the record. At 12.32, a Lewa spirit of a nearby glade and her husband, a mathematical ring, couldn't find their daughter. Their room was on floor 12, so not adjacent to anything of immediate danger besides the occasional boogeyman, yeti, or politician staying down there. Housekeeping swept every floor up to 99, but even with a searching spell, there was nothing. We checked the grounds, the neighboring necropolis, the cavern under the swimming pool, I even spoke with Tien over in Reverie Estates, but we didn't come up with anything. Then, at 1.45, a flatlander called the front desk. It seems the young girl somehow wandered onto floor 111. We're still not sure how she managed to get there, as all the elevators from all the other one-dimensional floors don't stop at higher-dimensional ones without a staff skeleton key. I've already filled out a safety report to inspect all lifts operating between floors 1 to 112. Hopefully, we'll find where the system broke down and fix it. Regardless. Once we knew where she was, it was only a matter of getting a logician down here to help extricate her from single-dimensional space. The only one on call, regrettably, was Calvin, who I had to argue with for almost 20 minutes before he thought the situation was serious enough to drive down to assist. Honestly, that man has driven me to distraction so many times I've lost count. I'm serious, I can't find the count anywhere. My grasp of numbers has remained completely listless ever since, in no small part, thanks to him. At any rate, I stood waiting in the lobby for him to arrive, all the while reliving the disaster from those many years ago. If we had lost another little girl because he couldn't be bothered to show up with some urgency, I was prepared to beat him over the head with my shoe. Well, he finally got here pulling up at a leisurely pace under the portico, and quite sauntered inside, 
I escorted him personally to floor 111 and oversaw his use of several matrices to transform the girl from a single-dimensional object back into 3D Euclidean space. The little girl was alright. Her Lewa mother, however, was rightly furious with us for the whole thing. She and her math ring husband thanked Calvin and then promptly let me know they would be checking out early. I can hardly blame them. I had a chance to speak with the Flatlander after Calvin left. They hadn't seen anything unusual happening on floor 111. I checked with our Satori security team to see if they had detected anything with their clairvoyant surveillance, but as usual, they were being too chaotic to be helpful. It is all so overwhelming. We have more guests than ever, more special accommodations to prepare than ever before, and what with this latest incident, and how similar it is to what happened several centuries ago, I am in dire need of some help. I know you don't like adding extra administrative staff considering what happened the last time, but I need more than a secretary. I need an assistant manager. I simply can't keep on top of everything these days. Please consider expanding our current job posting to include more responsibilities. I'll take charge of it myself. Yes, that is one more thing for me to do. But I do it in the name of helping our guests, and our staff, and myself, hopefully be a little safer. Report submitted by yours respectfully, Lionel Altuary, Head Concierge and Manager for Hotel Daydream. Hotel Daydream was voiced and written by Stephen Kausler. The music in this episode was by Sergei Quadrado, Julius H., Cybercutie, and Crypt of Insomnia. You can find the links to these artists in the show notes. If you want to support the show, uh, rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes. We're on iTunes now. The show also has a Patreon page where you can find behind-the-scenes content and bonus material. Look for it at patreon.com forward slash Hotel Daydream. Or, you know, if you don't got uh, time to do that, uh, just follow the link in the show notes. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed your stay. And thank you for listening.